Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And it's been about a week since we caught up, Frank, and there's been a bunch of stuff that's happened. There's been all-star selections. There's been a number of injuries with Giannis, George Hill, Dante missing games. Uh, Chris Middleton had a 50-point game in there as well and just continues to uh, piece together an amazing season. But perhaps more surprising than anything, was the Bucks actually lost a game of NBA basketball on Friday night against the Denver Nuggets. And coming from that game, and I don't know how specific you want to get about that particular game, but uh, it, it followed an, a trend that we've seen with the rare times that the Bucks lose. They give up a bunch at the three-point line. The opposition teams seem to shoot really well. Some of the numbers I went through yesterday uh, in terms of wins and losses, in the seven losses for the Bucs, the team, opposition are shooting around 45% from three and, and knocking down over 18 a game in the games that the Bucs win. That's down to 35% and around 13. So I know there's been a little bit of anxiety from Bucs fans in regards to the defense and the three-point defense in particular. Should we really be worried about this at all? You know, and I apologize, everyone, since uh, I guess we last spoke and I picked up a cold from my two-year-old. Um, so if I sound weird, it's because I sound weird. But um, <laughs> I mean, you know, in a very, uh, you know, high-level sense, kind of the thing you can control the least as far as, you know, big macro things that swing games is teams just having hot shooting nights, right? Uh, and, and I don't think, I think there's a couple things we talk about that the Bucks could still do better, but, uh, um, I mean, it makes sense if you're a team that is the best team in the league and you're extremely hard to beat, then I think you would almost want your kryptonite to be the three point line because it's sort of the most, I don't want to say it's luck, just pure luck that teams make a lot of threes. Um, because you know, it's everybody's like things that, you know, the point of the sport is to make more shots than your opponent. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm, and I think we've talked about this. So I don't want to like diminish um, the accomplishments of an opponent. Like Denver deserved to win. They outplayed the Bucks, even though they had a bunch of injuries and they were on the second night of a crazy back-to-back. Like on paper, that was a gimme win, even though the Nuggets are a great team that has a really good record. Like, you know, going into that game if you told me the Bucs are going to lose, I would have been like, wow, that's a really freaking disappointing loss. Um, but when you tell me, well, it's because, you know, the other team just makes a crazy number of threes, then I'd say, okay, well, I mean, you know, that, that happens. Now, I would point out about that game specifically, I think the Bucs had like a 105 offensive rating or something like that. So Bucks offense was also not as good as it, as it should have been. Um, you know, the Bucks also did not play their game, I think, offensively to the extent that you wanted what they were like 12 out of 40 from three or something like that, which obviously is, is a big part of that story. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in, in a general sense, if you're going to lose games, um, you know, it is the, the thing that can happen when you focus so much on taking the rim away and the Bucks have built the best defense in the league by focusing on exactly that. So, um, I think that if that's, you know, the price you pay that every couple of weeks you're going to, you know, potentially get lit up by a team that has a really good shooting night and that's going to put you at, at risk of losing uh, a game, you know, every two weeks, then I think, okay, you know, I think you kind of live with that. Um, that said, uh, 
you know, it, it feels like you notice it more in a game like this where the Bucks lose, obviously. Um, I noticed it happen in, in, the, in the Suns game as well. Um, and I, I can't remember if it was Connaughton or who it was, but um, Devin Booker had the ball on the right block in a post-up, right? Devin Booker, obviously a great, great scorer. But, um, you know, look, in the post, I'm not expecting Devin Booker to just get a layup out of the post. And the Bucks double from yeah. one pass away, kick out to the top of the key, and I think it was Javon Carter just buries a wide-open three. We saw that they doubled down on Jokic in the post. Jokic, maybe the best big man passer of all time, shockingly is able to, to make a pass one, you know, <laughs> you know, straight out to the top of the key for an open three. Uh, stuff like that, you know, I think if, if you, you know, if you were to summarize my, my general biggest frustration with the Bucks defense, it's that, you know, they just sometimes are just like, dude, like, you know, I know the idea is to help the paint and use all those big bodies and make it hard to get layups and stuff, but sometimes just let these dudes play defense and you know Brooke Lopez doesn't need help all the time Robin Lopez doesn't need help in the post all the time just you know Nikola Jokic great player that he is is going to score on you in the post you tip your cap and I think you say it's fine right I mean the Bucks and the Sixers are the only teams in the league that had point per possession numbers at one or above in the post and they were like right at one on a points per play basis so um, you know again it's one thing if the guy's like a turnover machine in the post but you know, Jokic, Devin Booker, like just, just live with it, right? Like if those guys are going to beat you, just live with it instead of trying to, you know, get too cute with it, which is to me kind of what you're doing. And, you know, again, a, a wide open three, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to choose the other thing pretty much no matter what the other thing is. But if you tell me the other option is, you know, a post shot against Brooke Lopez or Robin, or I forget who was defending Booker at that point, um, you know, it was Dante or whoever, just, just live with that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of one of those things that, that probably frustrated me more than anything. I think as a fan, you just like, I mean, I was like in agony watching the Nuggets just hit three after three after three because it just doesn't feel fair. But, um, you know, that's just the emotions of a fan. I think the kind of more um, rational calculus, I think I come back to, to the helping and I just wonder, okay, guys, like sometimes we're just kind of getting, you know, going a bit overboard with that and, also in that game, I kind of wondered like, all right, you know, you had the, the Wizards game where you had defense optional a few days earlier. Like, uh, you know, do you sometimes just lose the mindset a little bit playing games like that, which obviously, um, you know, they had a rude awakening on Friday playing a Denver team that, that obviously can, can really make you pay. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Bucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Milwaukee Bucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Milwaukee Bucks fans that are well-educated with disposable income then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to double three triple seven, or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get the team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you guys. 
Yeah. So I, I am glad that you definitely mentioned the overhelping because I think that this is a real theme. And I, I think the difficult thing when you're watching the Bucks right now is that uh, a lot of people are like, well, why don't the Bucks change up what they're doing defensively? And it's like, well, I certainly get that. But I also look at the stats and the Bucks' defensive rating of 102 is 2.3 points per 100 possessions better than anyone else in the league. So uh, while they have these nights from time to time, you, I can certainly understand why Bud and the Bucks in general sit there and say, well, runs on the board tells us that the way we play defense wins you games of basketball. But the Booker one that you mentioned is interesting because I do also think that this team is so good and, and the talent overwhelms teams that some of this stuff is hidden in games that they still win by 20 points where they're giving up open threes and guys just uh, or opposition teams don't capitalize on the looks that they're given. The interesting thing about this Nuggets game is uh, when you look at the box score, uh, Torrey Craig, Will Barton, uh, Malik Beasley, and uh, Hernan Gomez were 16 for 28 from three. Just uh, absurd shooting from those guys. And before the game, when we were talking to Michael Malone, he straight up said, yeah, we're going to be fatigued, uh, but we know that the Bucs give up threes. We know that's what they do. They give you open shots from the outside. So we've told our guys to be ready to shoot and be ready to knock them down. And I know that that's obvious. Like Everyone knows that they're the looks that you can get against the Bucs, but it's not really lost on me that the teams that the Bucs have lost to, we know their record against below 500 teams is really great. Uh, the, even that one game, uh, that they lost to San Antonio, the below 500 team. They shot more threes than they had all season and shot really well. The other teams they've lost to, when you think of Utah, Denver, uh, Boston, Miami, Dallas, uh, I might be missing, uh, Philly, obviously, on Christmas Day, they're all really good teams. And they've, they've, ex- they've been able to expose the Bucks' defense. And I think the overhelping is one thing that's, that's very noticeable. You already touched on how easy it is for Jokic to not even make a difficult pass. Like you, If you at least put him in a one-on-one situation with a guy like Brook Lopez or maybe Giannis or whoever it may be, uh, you at least say, okay, well, they should be able to make things difficult. We know that Jokic makes really difficult shots. Uh, he's, he's not an explosive guy, but he'll, he'll wear you down and flip up some random shot that will fall. But if you throw a, a double team at him and he knows that's coming, which by the end of the game, he knew it was coming, he's going to make a simple pass and you're going to get an open look. And, and even Giannis pointed to that, that they may defensively, maybe they panicked a little bit and they were too quick to send that double. And when I see that, it does remind me of the Eastern Conference Finals because I, I don't think that Kawhi one-on-one was the reason uh, why the Bucs lost the Eastern Conference Finals. We always talk about the other guys that shoot the three. And I think it's overblown a little bit that the Raptors blew the Bucs away from three. I don't think that was the case. But certainly the guy you think about when you think of Fred Van Fleet, he got a lot, a lot of open looks. Because the Bucs were overhelping. And I don't think with the individual talent they have defensively, they need to do that. I think that's the only thing I'm watching and saying, well, okay, against these good teams, uh, just be careful a little bit here because uh, if it becomes too predictable, you're just giving away wide open looks. And whether or not the team shoots them really well or they're known for shooting the threes, like potentially a San Antonio that I mentioned or a Philadelphia on Christmas Day, they know that they're going to get those looks and they're going to be willing to, to shoot them. Yeah, and I think... Um... It depends a little bit on the, who's shooting them too. I mean, the Bucks I don't think are fundamentally flawed in terms of, um, you know, like a Devin Booker type guy. Like, yeah, it's not like the the. I don't think they're fundamentally flawed in terms of giving up open threes to like lead ball handlers, right? Um, now you could argue, well, if Brook wants to sit in the paint, then 
um, the pull-up is, is going to be there a lot of times. And, and then that's true to some extent. You really need guys getting over screens defensively and obviously Bledsoe Hill and I think DiVincenzo is coming along getting very good at that. I mean, the, those first two guys are, are great at it um, to get those rear view contests so that you can't just pull up easily. And, and again, like there aren't that many guys like the Kembas or Damian Lillards or Stephs, right? Like those guys can, can hurt you maybe in ways that, that other guys can't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think they've been like fundamentally vulnerable to three-point shooting in that way. I think, as we talked about last year, they are very vulnerable to big guys screening and popping to the three-point yeah. line against a defensive center like Brooke or Robin, uh, who's hanging back in the paint waiting to protect the rim. I mean, yes, that, that is a very different and, and I think clearer um, you know, flaw, if you want to call it that. Or, or I mean, everyone goes fly. It's, but that's just, I mean, that's the weak point in the defense if you have that type of player. And I think the Suns game was instructive because, I mean, I just watched one quarter of that game and, you know, they're playing Aiton, who I think at some point will shoot threes, but for whatever reason, he just only shoots mid-range jumpers now. Uh, they played Jake Diallo. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron Baines, who has become a three-point shooter somehow. Uh, and <laughs> Frank Kaminsky, who we know can shoot threes. Those guys are both out. So, you know, I just sort of looked at it and just said, well, sorry, I just, you know, they're not going to beat us because they, they don't have enough guys that can, that can shoot threes <laughs> from the position where, where the Bucks are so vulnerable to give up the, the those shots, right? They're, they're not going to be able to get Brooke off the floor by any stretch with playing the guys that they're playing. So, um, so interesting counterpoint. And not that Jokic killed them from three-point range or something like that. Um, he hasn't actually been that great from three-point range this year, but – the threat is obviously there. He, he can bend the defense. We saw him, I think, settling for a lot of mid-range jumpers, which I thought early on, I was like, oh, great. He's tired. He's just going to shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um, but obviously, over the course of the game, um, you know, he did a really nice job, I think, bending the Bucks' defense and, um, you know, putting them in tough spots. Yeah, no question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be something to monitor. But this is the thing that we always say with this Bucks team that, uh, okay, well, you know, these one-off, nights and this is the interesting thing with the Sixers. we're going to see them in a couple of nights coming to milwaukee uh clearly everyone knows the struggles that they've had uh since that christmas christmas day uh statement whatever you want to call it uh since then they've been pretty awful and their their, their struggles on the road uh continue uh one and 12 against uh, above 500 teams on the road since they started three and oh on the road to start the season they just can't win away from philadelphia so uh right now they're a team that's in the sixth seed and uh looking at a really really bad first round matchup which uh, i i don't think is going to disappoint anyone uh that that follows the box but That'll be another test to see, okay, well, we saw what happened on Christmas Day. We saw how the Sixers not only shot the ball, and, and I still think that, the, you know, looking back on that, the Bucks will say, well, you know, a lot of those threes, we'll give you those. Uh, we, this, is, this is what we, we want you to take. We're going to trust that you're not going to shoot uh, 24 threes or whatever they did on Christmas Day, whatever ridiculous mark it was. Um, so like you sort of pointed to, this is a lot by design, and it's... You know, I think that's why the the Bucks aren't panicking. And even when you talk to Bud, he doesn't seem too stressed out about it. And neither do the players because they know that even on those nights, that they're, they're doing what the defense is designed to do. That stop uh, teams from scoring efficiently in the paint. Uh, but uh, you know, certainly something to monitor with with as we, we've sort of spoken about here, how they they help because we've seen against some of the good teams, the Clippers, the Lakers, we've seen Wes Matthews go up against those wings and defend really well. We know what Brook Lopez can do defensively. 
And it doesn't have to be a straight double team, immediate double team where you put yourself and every other player on the floor out of position. You can simply bring the help on the shot. If a guy wants to try and score at the rim, it's like, well, okay. I mean, we saw against Phoenix, Brooke Lopez had nine blocks. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not someone that's panicking right now. I think a lot of, uh, one thing that everyone points to is, well, okay, is the team going to shoot 20 plus threes, four games around the playoffs? That's what the Bucks are banking on, that that's not going to happen. Yeah, and I mean, to, to illustrate your point, I just looked it up because I was, I make sure I remember correctly, but Toronto made 86 threes in six games, right? So it's 14 and a half. Yeah. On the season last year, the Bucks, on average, surrendered 13.1. The Raptors shot 37.4%. The Bucks allowed 36.1% on average. So again, a little bit above average over yeah. six games. But, um, you know, again, it is very hard to string together, you know, four just complete outlier shooting performances, especially when, you know, we also know the Bucks can beat you even when you do get those outlier shooting performances because mm-hmm. they choke off your stuff in the paint. They don't foul you very much. Typically, we've seen obviously some some exceptions to that. Um, and the Bucks obviously offensively can can outgun you uh, on nights as well because the Bucks are obviously liable to have hot shooting nights from time to time too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of one off games and you know again like every couple weeks in the regular season, um, yeah, it, it can certainly happen. But as we saw in that really early season game, the first game they lost last year to the Celtics when the Celtics hit 22 threes or whatever it was. Um, you know, hopefully that will be kind of similar to what we saw in Philly on Christmas where, well, yeah, you know, okay, you, you took advantage of the thing that, that the Bucks can give you. Uh, but again, doing it one night uh, and having, you know, you, a, a, a season best night, it should we got to be really careful um, about kind of over-indexing on that. I mean, to me, the more interesting thing was Giannis struggling on Embiid, but even that, well, he scored 97 points the last two games when they tried to put Embiid on him too. So, um, you know, it's not fun, I guess, from a media narrative perspective to just look at every game and say, well, it just doesn't really matter, you know, just (laughs) just for fun. Uh, But, you know, to some extent for good or bad, you can say the same thing about, you know, beating the crap out of the Clippers the way the Bucks did uh, a little while back or, you know, beating the Lakers when Giannis has that tremendous shooting game. Is it good? Of course it's good, right? But it might just be better. It might be most important just from a psychological standpoint more than anything. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it really is that instructive as far as saying, okay, yeah, now we know that this team is going to win a, a playoff series against the Bucs or, or the Bucs are definitely going to beat a, beat a, you know, beat that team in a playoff series. Well, I would say that because the Bucks are 42 and seven, not because they're 41 and seven or whatever, whatever the hell they are now. 42, 42 and seven. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's because of you know one one random game. That's that's now the the thing we go off. Of. Seems like a reasonable take, and now I I do want to move. And this this kind of it it always shocks me how quickly this comes around. But we are within three days, and depending on when people are listening, it might be within two days of the trade deadline. And we're starting to see all sorts of rumors come come through. And before we mention anything here with the trade deadline, we have got a little promo to run, Frank. We can give someone that listens to this podcast potentially two tickets to see the Bucks at Fiserv Forum. You can go to any Locked On NBA Net account, obviously on Twitter, that's at Locked On Bucks. We want people to pre-bomb the Woj bomb 
So all you have to do is post the trade that you think is going to happen. Tag five people with your trade in your post. And if you are right, then you could win the two tickets to a Bucks home game, which, as we know, is obviously a, a pretty damn good night out at the moment. Trades will be evaluated based on players and picks, not cash. If multiple people win, first person with the correct trade is the winner. One winner will be chosen across all locked on social accounts. So uh, there's going to be a bunch of tickets given away here. If no one guesses the exact trade, then the winner will be one closest to the pin. Go now and pre-bomb the watch bomb with your trade at Locked On Bucks on Twitter, or you can go to LockedOnNBA.net accounts on Instagram and Facebook. It's going to be an interesting few days, Frank, because we saw today when uh, throughout the day uh, there was a, a bunch of conversation that that happens every year where the teams are linked to certain players. Again, we saw the Covington news with the Bucks that they're going to be interested. I don't think that's a shock to anyone. Again. We don't know what the asking price is going to be. We know when we had Ben Golliver on the, on the podcast uh, last week or a week and a half ago that he said that uh, he's he's you know confident that what what is reported that the Wolves will want two first round picks is uh, the asking price. There we know the Bucks have the first round pick from the Pacers in the Brogdon trade, and also uh, they can trade a future, future, future first round pick that 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 somewhere there. So they could definitely do that. So that's something that could be in play for the Bucks. Uh, I just, from, from speaking to people uh, around the league that cover the, the game that uh, are plugged into these types of things, people with the Bucks, I feel like something's going to happen now. And I haven't always felt that way. Maybe this is just the trade deadline getting close. But I, I, this first round pick from the Pacers on what the Bucks got in this Brogdon sign and trade, it seems to me from what uh, you read, what you hear, who I talk to, it seems like this is what the Bucks are really floating out there. And potentially, it's actually got real value. I don't know. I think this is going to be an interesting couple of days to see what happens, not only with the Bucks, but around the rest of the league. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, listening to a lot of the kind of trade value podcasts, um, you know, the Hollinger and Duncan pod here on the Lockdown Network. Uh, <laughs> John Hollinger and Nate Duncan talked a bit about a long, a lot about the Bucks. Actually, I think it was maybe a week or two ago. Um, pretty extensively looking at their potential needs. I think they talked a lot about uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, what he could mean. I think they talked about Covington. I forget who else they talked about. They they talked for quite a while. They started with the Bucks. So uh, if you want some trade talk, I mean that's a great one to go to. And uh, Nate and Danny Larue and Dan Feldman and Kevin Pelton held their three-part annual uh, mock trade deadline where I don't believe they actually got any deals for the Bucks, but they were actually pretty close in the running for uh, Bogdanovich, who I think they ultimately just said would, would stay in Sacramento, uh, as well as Marcus Morris. Uh, and I forget, where, I forget where they sent Morris, if it was to the Lakers and a Kuzum deal or what it was. But, um, Definitely but anyway, the so, WNBA, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that guy... <laughs> I think I've said on this podcast, I, I despise the Morai twins. I, oh, they're, like, they're both like criminals, basically, like some of the stories about them. Keep them and away. just, yeah, ah, God. It's, it's, it's sad, though, too, because Marcus, his skill set could actually be really useful on the Bucks. You know, you think about him as like a bench for like taking up all the Ursan minutes and giving you flexibility against, you know, big forwards like a LeBron or something. But anyway, whatever. Too bad he's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but – uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely an interesting um, it's an interesting deadline because I think you know Matt Velasquez did a basically an interview with John Horst 
and it you know was very predictably projecting sort of the position of strength that the bucks are in it was basically the like don't expect anything we love our team everything's you know culture the guys we have everything is so great you know blah 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 you know very look totally i I get it right there's no even if you are desperate to make a move there's no reason from a gming standpoint to get people excited about a deal uh when you know you don't have one ready to to announce to anybody so i'd say very predictably um sort of preparing people for nothing to happen and the the bucks don't have to do anything right i mean i think again that they they are where they are because this is a really well-constructed team and you know are they a team without any weaknesses no you know i think certainly when i look at um you know again as as well as ursan has played i think i have some concerns defensively in certain matchups um i think you know the Giannis at center for uh, spread offense or spread spread you know kind of system look um i think defensively has weirdly looked uh, kind of shaky at times we saw it in that denver game uh it really wasn't an answer for them um so yeah i mean if you had another kind of rugged combo forward like you know again that's why morris has been brought up um but there's any number of guys that that could help you in, in a scenario like that you know whether it's um you know covington or i mean hell like i mean jay crowder hasn't made a shot this year i don't think but <laughs> crowder uh crowder or you know iguodala who again probably again just makes too much money to really be uh, a practical trade target for the bucks but um but yeah i i think um I think something will happen, um, but I don't know if it'll be a very sexy thing. I, I think a more likely deal uh, would be something involving, you know, Sterling Brown or DJ Wilson, um, just because those guys just have not been able to really find their footing uh, in Bud's rotations. Uh, Sterling obviously becoming a restricted free agent. You know, the clock's ticking here uh, in terms of figuring out what what he might mean for this team, and I, I just don't think we've seen you know, enough consistency. He did make some really difficult, a uh, couple of really difficult driving shots against, I guess things the, uh, the Suns on Sunday. Uh, but it felt more like he got lucky that for them to go in, and not yeah, like yeah. S- not signals that he has figured out uh, his driving game necessarily. But, um, but I think those guys are probably worth keeping an eye on. I mean, you know, it's sad, but I mean, with DJ, I mean, he, you know, even when Giannis doesn't play, the guy can't get off the bench. I mean, that, I think, speaks volumes about where he is in terms of Bud's rotations. And, you know, he's got four and a half million or so uh, owed next year. And so I think if he's moved, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's, you know, essentially like a salary dump where maybe they get some random guy, uh, maybe, you know, like a another it's a combo wing or something like that. But somebody that, Maybe if you squint hard enough at it, maybe it's a guy that you could say, oh, this guy might be able to give you some minutes at some point this season. But ultimately, probably a guy who doesn't load any money next year and, and provides you some salary cap or you know, some, some basically some luxury tax breathing room versus having DJ at $4.5 especially if you're, you know, but doesn't want to play the guy if he doesn't see a future for him. So th- that would be my less ambitious view of, of what might happen. Um, it was interesting. We saw Luke Kennard mentioned is possibly being shot by the Pistons, which surprised me because I don't see why if you're Detroit, you'd want to necessarily move Luke Kennard at this point, given uh, how little they have. I mean, guy, uh, you know, a young guy averaging 16 points, I think like four rebounds, four assists, uh, has a really good floor game, um, great shooter. I mean, I, 
yeah, I don't know what you're trying to get, trying to move him, but um, who knows, right? I, I, I would love to be surprised pleasantly. We were last year, I think, as much as the Miritich move didn't pan out in that second in the Eastern Conference Finals against uh, the the Raptors. I thought that was a really you know a, a good move to go for a guy like him who I think could give you some dynamism uh, from from the front court position. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think something will happen. So I agree with you there. Uh, will it be kind of that really big swing, exciting stuff? maybe not, but um, I think something will probably happen, even if it is maybe just, uh, you know, some kind of deal to, to move one of those young guys and, and bring in another piece or, you know, again, not very exciting, but potentially provide some additional flexibility next year. Yeah. I think there's four guys that I'm really looking at and I would not be surprised if I, at some point in the next couple of days, the notification comes through that the trade has been, you already mentioned Kennard. He's, he's, he's one, obviously, uh, I think the big thing with him is that because when you wonder, well, why would the Pistons actually want to trade him? Well, I mean, he seems like he's having some real struggles with not just one knee, but both knees <laughs> with the with the tendonitis or whatever it is he's struggling with. Maybe if the Pistons think, well, this guy might, he, this might be a thing that that is really going to derail uh, his career. Then maybe they say, okay, yeah, we'll take a first round pick and and maybe a young Sterling Brown. Uh, the Pistons aren't really. Uh, going anywhere at the moment. So Canard is one to watch. You might be able to get for a uh, low value or a, a low sort of trade hold to be able to get him. He seems interesting. The other three guys, obviously Bogdanovich, we spoke a lot about. I just think if the Bucks were uh, calling anyone, that the Kings would definitely be one of those teams. We know that the Kings have been a team that you can really uh, <laughs> get a, a nice deal from in the, in the past. And then the other two guys that we've spoke extensively about, obviously Covington. And I, I still think they'd be kicking the tires on Iguodala. Obviously there's been a lot of uh, interesting uh, media stuff around him in the, in the last sort of few days here about his situation and the fact that uh, whatever has gone on with Memphis, but it's going to be interesting. So we'll see. I mean, at any point in the next few podcasts, we could be, we could be announcing a trade, but before we finish here, we do have to talk about this game tonight because the Bucs are going to come face-to-face with Zion Williamson for the first time. This guy's been incredible. I, I've been trying to watch as much of him as I possibly can because at the moment it is a must-watch TV. He's averaging 19.5 points, 8.2 rebounds in just 26 minutes per game. The crazy thing to me when I watch him Obviously, the knee was a concern. And, and for the longest part, I honestly just didn't think he was going to play at all this season. His athleticism, he looks great. Yeah, he, he, he looks overweight. I mean, people talk about that. There's no question. He does. But it doesn't stop him from being one of the most athletic players you see in the league. You saw uh, a couple of nights ago on, uh, on the Super Bowl Sunday when Lonzo Ball throws the, the lob from beyond half court to Zion. He flies. He throws that one down. We've seen highlights from him every single night. I spoke about this in the podcast yesterday when I went solo after the Suns game. He reminds me of Giannis in a way, his second jump. So he can miss a shot close to the basket. We see this with Giannis all the time, how quickly he grabs that offensive rebound and then scores simply from just being quicker than the guys that are defending him. We're seeing that with Zion as well. This guy is is unbelievable. I mean, you just hope that he stays healthy, but... I'm really, really looking forward to this game. It is on national TV, 6.30 tip. Uh, the Pelicans have got a lot of talent. There's a team that's 20 and 30 right now. They're five games out of the eighth seed. You can understand why they brought Zion back. 
they probably believe that they can make uh, the playoffs. They're going to be battling with uh, <laughs> Ja Moran, who is incredibly exciting to watch as well, and Damian Lillard, who is just a, just a, out of this world right now. So it's going to be a fun race for the eighth seed in the West. The Pelicans are fun. This, this could be an interesting game to watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because, uh, and, and I think you've watched more Zion than I have, um, so I, I'd be curious to get your take on this. It still seems like he is a guy coming off an injury uh, a lot of the time. Like when you see him kind of running, you know, kind of running around. Yeah. I don't know. At times, it it does seem like. You know, I mean, well, let me say this: it doesn't seem like he's quite the like world wrecker that he was um, a year ago, uh, which you know is understandable. He's coming off a knee injury. Um, as you said, for a guy who probably needs to trim down anyway, you know, being uh, coming out from a leg injury, obviously he's going to make that probably not going to make your, your weight problems uh, any better. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see. It just seemed like at times almost like he's gimpy, but then you mentioned he then also just makes these plays where it's like, you know, he's just the force of nature that, that he was advertised to be. And, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting in college, he was a real playmaker defensively. He only has a couple blocks in his six games so far, which, you know, certainly curious to see his matchup uh, with Giannis and to understand, you know, exactly, um, you know, how they kind of handle that. Um, I think with Derek Favors on the floor, um, I, I'm actually really curious. Like, I, you know, I mean, Zion's just playing his first, like, two weeks in the NBA. Derek Favors, we've seen, actually has played – Giannis pretty well, better than Rudy Gobert last year when the, those teams played when uh, when he was in Utah. I, I would think maybe you put favors on Giannis just to shield Zion from having to defend Giannis and, and have to deal with that. I think certainly Zion's still picking up on uh, the finer points of NBA defense, but um, still I'm looking at the numbers here. I mean, again, it's very small sample, only 335 possessions, but um, the Pelicans have been terrific defensively with him on the court. I mean, 101.5 defensive rating plus 15.2 net rating overall um you know everything that we thought uh about him being an instant impact guy even not looking 100 percent right now um you know the the impact that he's made just in terms of you know the the on and off court numbers so far small sample size uh disclaimers obviously apply but um yeah he's obviously helping turn around maybe it's maybe it's too late I don't know uh but certainly the Pelicans still I think have enough time here I mean we're not that far past the midway point I mean they certainly can make a playoff run as you pointed out um but again there's a lot of other teams in that mix uh, out west so uh, again obviously hopefully you just sort of cross your fingers that Zion stays healthy and certainly if he stays healthy then um you have to feel like they're gonna they're gonna at least have a chance um but we'll also be interesting here in the next week there have been some stray talk about them listening to to trade offers. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like. I definitely would not be looking to trade Drew Holiday if I was them. Yeah. But um, they are in kind of a weird spot because uh, they have some veteran guys like Reddick and Favors, um, but they also have a bunch of young guys, uh, you know, Williamson and, and Ingram, uh, who obviously you know they're they're building for the future with and. There's not necessarily. I mean, there, I think there is sort of a just happy to be here type uh, dimension to where the you know the Pelicans being competitive, you know, only a year removed from having to to trade Anthony Davis for you know essentially that young package of uh, of players and picks. So um, you know, David Griffin, I think, has sort of carte blanche. He can kind of do whatever he wants, probably, and uh, no one's going to be too mad. But um, certainly, you know, for the Bucks at least, 
is a team that has a lot of talent, as you mentioned. And um, I, I really didn't understand why they were as bad as they were, even while Zion was hurt. They had some mm-hmm. other injuries as well, including favors and, and others that missed time. But um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know that Alvin Gentry is going to be the coach that, that gets uh, the you know peaks that that is there when Peak Zion is unleashed on the league. Um, it feels like uh, he's kind of been treading water there for quite some time, but um, certainly of late, you know, they're they're playing better, and, and obviously Zion's a huge part of that. Yeah, no question. And some of, some of the the trade talk around them is is kind of made me laugh. I mean, you pointed to the fact that they shouldn't. Uh, obviously, uh, trade Drew Holiday. I did see some stuff around Brandon Ingram. We know that he's obviously coming up for a, a major payday. But for mine, I mean, you, if you're the Pelicans, uh, you're paying Brandon Ingram. You're you're putting him with Zion Williamson and also Alonzo Ball. I mean, this that's a, this is a really really nice young trio. Jackson Hayes, uh, you know, social media antics aside, uh, looks like he's uh, got some got some talent. So I mean, they they just. This is a really fun team to watch. And I agree, it was surprising that they weren't uh, playing uh, well. But, I mean, they were giving up a bunch of points defensively. Certainly, uh, they weren't uh, playing all that well through the start of the season. So, it's fun now to see them. I think that the the fact that Zion's come back tells you that they're going all in for the eighth seed. I mean, if if that wasn't the case and there was you know, probably no sense to bring them back, obviously financially for the franchise there is, but... On the court, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense. So I, I, I'd be surprised if they did anything major. But uh, like I said, this is this is going to be a fun one. Six thirty p.m. It's kind of an early tip there uh, on a, a national TV game, Bucks Pelicans. Uh, but the only other thing before we finish, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if you have like one quick take you want to say about Pat Connor and Duncan. But this has been the an almighty campaign for the Milwaukee Bucks to get Pat Connor into the dunk contest. It's not absolutely official, but when uh, Shams sort of tweets out that it is, that's as good as official. Looks like Pat Connaughton is going to be dunking in Chicago. And uh, it's at least going to be fun to watch. I mean, let's just put our fingers, let's cross our fingers that uh, he puts in a better showing than Giannis did a few years ago. Yeah, I think probably the, the first question I have is, what what is Pat Connaughton going to be like as a dunk contest dunker? Because yeah. um, I always think of him as like a putback guy. Um, so, you know, again, is Pat Connaughton going to shoot threes and create, uh, putback attempts through his three point shooting, which occasionally, uh, leaves something to be desired. I, I don't know. Uh, that, that might be one option. Um, is he going to, uh, kneel 80 yards away from, uh, the basket and throw the ball like a football 80 yards, which he can apparently do as well. And then, and then run under it and catch it and dunk it or something. I, I don't know. I don't probably, these are not probably realistic things, but, um, <laughs> with the way that w- what we do know about him, we know that he is uh, capable of, you know, sort of these Herculean feats of strength. So um, I, I am sort of curious to, to see what that means for him in a dunk contest because, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. I don't feel like in games he is necessarily uh, like a really stylish dunker, um, but uh, I don't know. He's got, he's got a little bit of time here to, to think of something and hopefully uh, he, uh, he does uh, does does us proud as as Bucks fans because um, he's going to have a, a few of his teammates there uh, with Chris and Giannis there on hand for the game. So um, think of something, Pat. Where you, you gotta you gotta <laughs> you gotta honor the memory of hashtag C Joe Dunk and uh, and you know bring bring something bring something fun. So uh, I'm a little bit surprised. I honestly thought, and maybe this is me being cynical, but I thought when you said ideas. 
you always say, or we both say, actually, I should say, I don't want to throw you under the bus here. Shoot a shoot, and so does Pat Connor. I thought you were <laughs> going to say maybe Pat's going to shoot a three, and then put, and then then run in for the pullback, and that was going to be his uh, his dunk contest dunk. But anyway, like I said, it's going to be fun. Obviously, Dante missed out on the Rising Stars game, which is unfortunate. We both spoke and thought that that was uh, maybe going to be a long shot. And honestly, when you look at the the USA team, it's it's incredibly talented. I mean, there's some some really really big names there, and some big names that missed out. So uh, Dante won't be there, but it's fun that Pat will be there. The three point shootout hasn't really been uh, there hasn't been any real names revealed for that. I know Zach Levine was one that was mentioned. George Hill strikes me as a guy that would refuse that to go fishing or do something over All Star Weekend. So I'm not sure we're going to see him. But I don't know, the Bucks have a bunch of three-point guys that maybe there will be another name added to the list. But uh, like I said, as far as the Bucks go, they're in New Orleans right now. Pelicans, they'll play tonight. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Frank, it was good to have you back. We hadn't caught up for a little while, so this was, this was fun. But we'll leave it there for Frank Madden and myself, Gabe Pittman. We'll speak to you guys after the Pelicans game.